Amen. You can be seated. Mercy. Never mind the preaching. I come for the worship. You ever see those preachers that when the worship people are doing, they're just looking over their soul and nerves. That just makes me so mad. Mercy. I would come for that. Y'all are good. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well to the throne of grace. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 tonight. We're going to look at verses 18 through 25. Some very compact little piece of scripture right here. Let me tell you what's happening in this passage of scripture. Jesus is demonstrating his authority, and as a result of that, people follow him. Jesus demonstrates his authority, and as a result of that, people follow him. Now, here's what I want us to do tonight as we look at this passage. I want us to look for Jesus' authority in these verses but then I also want us to look for his authority in our lives. What does Jesus' authority look like in your life? What does Jesus' authority look like in my life? It's easy to sing these songs. It's easy on a Sunday night. I mean, y'all at church on Sunday night, y'all have got to be just the best, right? It's easy. No, I, I'm saying that facetiously. But it's easy for us at church to go, yes, God, yes, Jesus, he's all this and more. But how is that exhibited in our lives? How is that demonstrated Monday through Saturday? What does Jesus' authority look like? We're going to see his authority demonstrated in this passage. But what does his authority look like in your life? Because, I mean, if he's really all that, king of kings and lord of lords, the sovereign of this universe... That ought to make a difference in your life and mine. It ought to show up somehow or another. Right? So let's read this passage. Let's talk about authority for just a few minutes tonight. Man, this is fun. Starting in verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed, leaving the boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. And people soon began bringing to him all who were sick and whatever their sickness or disease. Or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns of Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. Now we're going to come back through that verse by verse here in just a minute and, and look for the authority of Jesus and see these people following him. But let's just think about authority just for a minute. How does one gain authority? How does one have or develop authority? And there's several things here. You can have authority by knowledge. In other words, you are an authority on a specific subject. I tell people all the time, 
I am the resident expert on Salmon, Idaho for Southern Baptists. There's nobody else knows more about, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm that guy. And it doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but I am that authority, right? You know, you can have authority by position or rank. You have authority because of your place in a recognized structure. You got a boss at work, they have authority because they're in this recognized structure. You can have authority because of intimidation. Because you somehow intimidate people into letting them follow or be controlled by you. All authority is not pleasant. You can have authority by intimidation. Or you can have authority by being sovereign. There's only one of those, but that is one of the options. Sometimes we wrestle with authority. Anybody have authority issues? Anybody struggle? Anybody resent authority? I don't expect all your hands to go up. You ever resented a boss? Anybody? No, don't put your hands up, but I'm just, I'm just asking you a question there. Your boss might be in the room. We don't want to go that far, you know? You probably never resented your parents. Well, maybe a couple of y'all did. You had a rough crowd. You, they resent their boss. They resent their parents. I'm not going to ask about if you ever resented your pastor. Goodness gracious, this is tough. Um, I love you, brother. We wrestle with and we resent authority. You know why? Because we like to be in control. Anybody? I like to be in control. I don't have to drive, but just give me the keys. You're going to be more comfortable if I do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And what's funny is I'm looking around the room right then and I see people looking at somebody else like, mm, mm, he's talking about you. We don't like being told what to do and we don't like being told how to act. Now, some of you are rule followers. God bless you. I'm so happy for you. That's so good. Your life's so boring. That, that, it's just, that's just, you know, uh, no. No, I, I'm not one of those people. I mean, I'm going to follow most of them. But I'm going to get a ticket every now and then. That's just, you know, that's, <laughs> I'm old enough and I pay good enough insurance. I'm going to get a ticket every now and then, you know. Uh, and sometimes I'm going to be upset about that. But, but um, we don't like being told what to do. We don't like being told how to act. So next question, to whom or to what do you give authority to in your life? I want us to think through these things before we start looking at the authority of Jesus here. I, I, I just wrote a few things. You give authority to your friends. You give authority to your friends. Hey, what you doing tonight? Oh, man, I want to go too. That person has authority. Just that simple. You give authority to family. Anybody ever said, oh, we got to go over to so-and-so's house? Mm. You know, that new in-law or something. Not new in-law, that's terrible to say. I didn't mean that. But, <laughs> but that, that was just a Freudian slip. But the, we, we got to go over to so-and-so's house. We gotta, you know, it's Thanksgiving. We got to go to this family member's house or something like that. But we give authority to family. We do. We hand it to them. We give authority to John. And, and listen, not all this is bad. Not all of this is bad. Authority is a good thing. We need authority in our life. If we did not need authority in our life, God would not have taken that position and demanded that position of us. And also put together structures within this world and said that we're to adhere to those structures. Authority is a good thing. We're the ones that wrestle. We're the ones that struggle with it. 
We give authority to jobs and bosses. We give authority to government. We give authority to our fears. We give authority to our fears. We were talking about this the other night. How many of you have a good irrational fear? Anybody? I mean, you know, they're not all the same, but you know, mine's needles. I don't do needles. I'm against them. I, I'm just, I'm opposed to them. I don't want to, and I know the older I get, the more I'm going to become uncomfortable with them and get used to them because doctors are going to do more. To, they're going to poke and prod on me the older I get. But I've just got this irrational fear of needles. There is an order for me to have lab work at the Steel Memorial Clinic in Salmon, Idaho, right this minute. It's been there for a month, and I've not gone to get my blood drawn. Why? Because I have an irrational fear of needles. Sooner or later, the lady in the lab will call and say, Mike, and I'll go, yeah, I know, I know, I'll be there tomorrow, you know. And she will, because she knows me, small town, she'll put a Snoopy Band-Aid on my arm, <laughs> you know, after it's over and tell me how good I've done. It's so stupid, but it's, you know, it's just an irrational fear. But we give authority to our fears. We give authority to our fears We give authority to those we trust or whatever we trust. The book of Matthew demonstrates the authority of Jesus over and over and over in many different ways. We're even going to see some of that tomorrow night because once we start looking for it, we're going to see it more and more. I want us to look again at these verses and look at the authority of Jesus and look at the response of people to his authority. And I want you to look for the authority of Jesus in your life. Look at verses 18 through 20 again. This is mind-blowing, just these two verses. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore, the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net in the water, for they were fishing for a living, or they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you, to, show you how to fish for people. And they left. And they left. Just like that. Just like that. We don't, we're not privy to know if Jesus had had conversations with them before. We're not privy to know if they knew all about who Jesus was. We're not privy to anything. We're privy to these two verses right here. They're minding their own business, doing what fishermen do. And the Lord Jesus Christ walked by and said, Hey guys, you drop what you're doing and follow me. And they left. They left. They didn't say, well, now, wait a minute, we really need to, they didn't even give a two-week notice, Hannah. They left. That was the Lord calling them. <laughs> We're just having our own conversation here. Bear with me for a minute. But do, do you hear this and see this? this? This kind of authority, this kind of, was there something in his voice? Was there a magnetism about Jesus? I don't know. I, I wish we could have seen this. I wish we could have sat on the sideline and watched this. And I wonder if there are ever people, other people around going, well, well they just did it. They, what, where they, they just went with that dude. What is up with that? We know Simon Peter was married. He didn't go home and say, honey, I'm going to quit fishing. I'm going to follow Jesus. He didn't check with anybody. And he was a man under authority because we all are under a certain amount of authority. We're all in some way, shape, or form or fashion giving authority to others. He didn't check with anyone.
because he's being called by the highest one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, we would like to think, well, I'll be in trouble if I don't do this, or I'll be in trouble if I don't do that, or I'll be in trouble if I don't do this. Listen, when the Lord Jesus Christ calls you, you'll be in trouble if you don't follow him. But still, the amazing authority of Christ as it's demonstrated. And then it just happens again in the next two verses. 21 and 22. Same kind of scenario. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, setting a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing the nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. I just can't help but stop and wonder something here for a moment. How many times... Have you sensed God leading you to do something and you entered into a period of negotiation with him? Anybody but me? You know, based on what I see in scripture, that's not the appropriate response. <laughs> There's plenty of other places in scripture we can find people who once they knew about Jesus, they followed him. Zacchaeus, that poor guy's life was a train wreck. And the moment he met and understood Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed. There was not a negotiation period. There was not a time of discussion back and forth. There was not a time of, well, maybe Jesus, I'll do this if you'll do that. And how about if I do this for a little while and then we do that a little bit later? You know, there's another place in the book of Matthew. People came along and said, I'll follow you. I'll be your disciple. And Jesus is like, are you kidding? Foxes have dens. Birds have nests. I don't have any place to lay my head. You're not ready for this. I'll follow you, but I need to go do something first. I need to go bury my father. We don't have time to get into that passage, but we're pretty sure that the background there is, well, that's my responsibility and I need to stay with my family until I've dealt with their, my parents and then I'll follow you after, that may be a couple years down the road, but then I'll follow you. Jesus is like, mm, let's dead bury the dead. You're going to follow me, you follow me now. Why? Because he has this authority. He is the authority. You ever dropped what you were doing for Jesus? You ever absolutely just changed direction right there for Jesus? Well, you see, if I did, I'd have this and this and this and this and this, but you see Jesus. Well, you see, if I did, there would be this and I'd have all this, there'd be all this fallout. Yeah, Peter, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they didn't have any of that. They didn't have families. They didn't leave their parents. I mean, this was Zebedee Fishing Company, and, and the two older brothers just left the patriarch mending nets he was down his two best men right there of course there was collateral circumstances you suppose Jesus is big enough to handle that too you suppose that he's sovereign enough in his authority to deal with whatever your side issues might be in your mind I believe he probably is. We don't have any record of these guys coming back later and just going, boy, they followed Jesus and their family fell apart. 
Boy, they followed Jesus and their, their lives were in shambles after that. Boy, they followed Jesus and everything was a train wreck. Does anybody have that testimony, by the way? Hey, I followed Jesus, worst decision ever made. Anybody? Well, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. There's, there's more to this, though. There's more to this. Look at verses 23 through 25 again. And the authority of Jesus just shows up in here again and again. He traveled throughout the region of Galilee. He's teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And what does he do? He healed every kind of disease and illness. Every. There wasn't anything that he wasn't capable of. There wasn't anything he wasn't capable of. News about him spread. The people soon began bringing to him all. Do you see these all-inclusive words? Every, all. There's nothing that he doesn't have authority over. All who were sick and whatever. There's another all-inclusive word. Whatever their sickness or disease. Or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed. The, the scripture's like, look, you don't understand. Whoever came to Jesus, whatever their mess was, he was sovereign over that. And he had authority over that. And he spoke over that. No matter what it was. No matter what it was. The authority of Jesus. It's not just... The authority of Jesus is not limited to Sunday. If it were, it's just a hobby. And, and he's really not into being your hobby. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. By the way, he did not have a PR man. They were not advertising ahead of time. These folks weren't praying for 40 days before Jesus got there, Scott. He just showed up. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that kind of authority. <laughs> These people came. They followed him wherever he went. And they came from all over the region. And no matter what situation was set in front of him, he demonstrated his authority. I'm going to fast forward you to the end of Matthew real quick. Even in the final couple of days of Jesus' life, if you read carefully through the story of his arrest, his crucifixion, he was in charge the entire time. In front of the Sanhedrin the night of his arrest, he testified to who he was. He testified exactly to who he was. And then said to them, next time you see me, you'll see me coming in the clouds and I will be the judge. Whew. That's pretty gutsy for looking it in the face of a group of people that think they're going to kill you. But he was giving his life. He was handing it over. Because he had authority over his own life. He's going to lay it down when he wanted to and then take it back up again. He has this authority. I want to show you just a few places real quick. We're just going to jump a few places. You don't even have to turn in your Bibles. I know it's a terrible thing to tell you. A few more places about Jesus' authority. Look at Matthew 9, 6 real quick. It's on the screen. I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. You can read Matthew 9 and see that. But he has the authority to forgive sins. Now, that one... Is something we all need. 
That is something we all need because we're all sinners. And Jesus has the authority to forgive my sin. Nobody else does. Nobody else does. Now, there's self-help out there. People are telling you need to learn to forgive yourself. That sounds really good. And some counselor may have told you that somewhere along the way. But let's just play that out for a minute. Let's just play it out for a minute. You've had a fallout with somebody, a dear friend, a family member, a spouse, or something like that. And, and you're trying to put things back together. And, and you just go to that person and say, look, I know you're angry at me and everything, but I just want you to know I've forgiven myself. And everything's okay. <laughs> Try that with your wife sometime. Just, just go ahead. It's not good marriage counseling. It's not good counseling. There's only one that can forgive sins. And his name is Jesus. He has that authority. And, and you may... You may just say, hey, I've put my conscience aside, and I've decided that that wasn't so bad, and I've forgiven me, and everything's cool. You're still accountable to everyone else, and you're still accountable to God. But he has the authority to forgive sins. Praise God. Look at Matthew 10, 28. He's got the authority to judge. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God. Who can destroy both soul and body in hell? Fear God. He's, he's sovereign. He's authority. He's the judge. He has the authority to judge us. John 10, verse 18. I love this. John 10, 18. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. He's got authority over life and death. He's got authority over life and death. Scripture tells us he is life. He is life, but he's got authority over life and death. Now it's appointed unto all once to die and then judgment. We're going to die. I would far rather die under authority and in relationship with the one who has authority over life and death than I would on my own. He has authority over life and death. One last thing, Matthew 28, 18. If you hadn't already figured it out, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority. All all he's got authority over your marriage he's got authority over your home he's got authority over your church he's got authority over your workplace he's got authority over your school we just keep going on and on and on and on. Well, I don't know how that applies there. I don't know how it applies there. I don't know how it applies there. That's, it could be you don't know how it applies there because you've not submitted his authority in your home, in your school, in your workplace, in your church. It could be that the reason you don't see how the authority of Jesus matters is because you've not submitted to it. He has this authority. He has all authority. And we sit here in the church on Sunday night. We say, that's right. That's right. That's right. Man, that's good. That's right. What's it look like in your life? What is the practical application of that authority? 
I'm just going to ask a few questions. And then we're going to have an invitation. How has Jesus changed your thinking or your behavior? How have you been moved in your own life by the authority of Jesus? You ever change jobs because of Jesus' authority in your life? Has Jesus' authority in your life ever removed a fear? Has an attitude ever been changed or altered because the authority of Christ in your life? Has your heart just ever been broken over the conviction of Jesus because of his authority in your life? I was talking with a guy just the other day. He's a good friend. Good friend, and then we were wrestling with it. Well, he was wrestling. I wasn't wrestling so much, but it was his issue, and we were talking, and he was wrestling. And uh, some folks in his life that had just really wronged him, legitimately wronged him. He said, I'm just not the quite, quite the kind of Christian that can just forgive like that. And me being the subtle person I am, I said, well, that's a sin. Because God doesn't ask us to forgive sometimes a little bit. Simon Peter looked at him and said, so how often should I forgive or how many times? Seven times seven? Is that it? Because, I mean, that's the, I'm, or up to seven times? Excuse me, I'm sorry, up to seven times? Jesus said, no, no, let's go with 70 times seven. Do you think he meant at, time, at 491 you just cut them off at the end of it? That's not what he was getting at right there. Have you ever forgiven somebody because of the authority of Christ? I didn't say they deserved it. I didn't say they didn't wrong you. But because you're a child of the sovereign, because you're a child of God, have you ever looked at somebody and said, I'm going to forgive you? See, here, I'm going to tell you something. This is going to hurt just a little bit. Jesus is not concerned with your comfort. That's not his highest value. You're here tonight. So I, Hannah, I'm Jesus, and I just want you to be comfortable. I just want, how can I make your life? That's not who he is, and that's not how he works. The people that he called here. He called them to an uncomfortable circumstance and situation. He did not give any clear picture of the future. He just said, follow me. I'll show you how to fish for men. Well, what does that mean? They didn't have a reference for that. There's not a man fishing season out there. There's not a limit. That's vague. Jesus doesn't owe you all the details that's just in. Because he has all the authority. But here's the cool part. He's got all that handled. 
He's got all that handled. See, what he wants from us is this faith relationship, not I've been given the road map and I see all the stops along the way and everything. Okay, good. He just says, follow me. And he has that kind of authority. And he says, forgive. And he has that kind of authority. And he says to love. And he has that kind of authority. Who does he tell us to love? You ever loved an enemy because of Jesus' authority in in your life? You ever just looked at somebody that was absolutely disgusting and despicable and didn't deserve a moment of grace and just said, you know what, I love you. But because of Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life, I love you. Man, it's easy to sing the songs. And it's awesome to worship in the songs. But to walk out on the street and live what we sang... And to walk out of here and, and, and walk in the authority of Christ, in authority to Christ, man, that's, that's a high calling and that's some hard stuff. I'm afraid that the church in our part of the world is pretty doggone comfortable. It's pretty doggone comfortable. And what we're going to do is make sure that we gather ourselves in comfortable places where we can be as comfortable as possible, maybe challenged every now and then, maybe pushed just a little bit every now and then. But we're going to grow as much as we think we want to grow. And we're going to get that comfortable place. Like, I love my church. I love Jesus. I don't love my neighbor. He's a jerk. I don't love my enemy. I don't even know my enemy, but I hear them talking about him on the 24-hour news cycle, so I don't love him. You realize that our brothers and sisters around the world don't know what that's like. Because our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world They worship hoping they don't get caught. And in some places of the world, they're worshiping one place today. And somewhere along the middle of the week, they may hear of where they're going to worship next. And then they may hear of where they're going to worship next. And people are imprisoned. And people die because they submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And when we get just a little uncomfortable, we go look for something else. I'm not sure that's the same Jesus. I'm not sure that's the same thing. We've got it easy. And we've not been stirred. And quite honestly, for a lot of Christians in the West, and I'm talking about Western culture, It's hard to find the authority of Christ in their lives. You say, I go to church every Sunday. I'm surrounded by a predominant faith. It's a spiritual cult. Latter-day Saint. They go to church on Sunday. 
more regularly than we do because they're in a works-based theology. Half of my state, faithful church attenders, over half of the, over half of the population of Utah, faithful church attenders, and they dress up and clean up better than I do on Sunday too. Suits and ties and all that stuff. Going to worship doesn't demonstrate the authority of Christ in our lives. It's a piece of it, and it's a part of it. A change in our behavior, a change in our thought processes, a change in our actions, a change in the hardness of my heart and yours, an obedience that is demonstrated through humility a picking up and moving because God spoke it over us that's what the authority of Christ looks like in our lives and there's a world of Christians that can't ever identify that happening in their lives what's the problem there We've just gotten comfortable with, with our faith and we've said, I'll go here, but I'll go no further. And we're in cleaned up disobedience. Well, I'm not in disobedience. I'm not in disobedience. Anybody ever heard a missionary speak and say, boy, that's good for them, but if God ever called me there, I wouldn't go. You plan to disobey right there. You understand that, right? You have. You've said, I won't do that. You understand that's sin, right? If your child sitting at the dinner table looked at you and said, that's okay, Mom and Dad, if you ever asked me to do that, I'm not going to do it. What would you do? I would not have said that at my house because I was a young child under authority. I may not have lived it out, but I wouldn't have said it. But a lot of us have said that to God. Well, I'm glad called, God called you, but God ever called me? Like, I couldn't go do that. I, couldn't, I can't go do that. No, God, just listen. Don't, don't waste your time telling me to do that. I'm not going to do it. We have planned to be disobedient before he even asks us. So we have this spirit of, hmm, I got a line. Your authority stops right there. And that's where mine takes over. It doesn't sound good put that way, does it? It just doesn't sound good put that way, does it? I'm just going to leave it with you. I don't know you. I don't know your life. And I'm so glad it's not my job to look and go, and I mean you, and I mean you, and I mean, I tried to point at staff people. I mean you, you know, those kind of things. I'm so glad that I don't know. But my prayer is this. My prayer is that the Spirit of God convicts us as we ask these questions. And we see God's authority so clearly. And then we recognize in our own life what we've got is a shield up that says, hmm. If we're going to be Christ followers, I'm telling you folks, it's a pretty narrow path. And I want to ask you to follow. I want to ask you to submit. 
And I said before, we don't like that. We don't like to submit. We like to be in control. We like to be in charge. We like to be our own direct. We like that better. There's a way that seems right to a man. And the end of it is destruction. Would you rather follow somebody who knows where they're going or somebody who doesn't? Listen, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen when we leave here tonight. He knows everything about you. And he has seen your days mapped out. Would you rather follow him or just go at it blind? Kind of seems silly, doesn't it? Are your sins forgiven? I mean, are your sins forgiven in Jesus' name? Have you, by the authority of Christ and under the authority of Christ, admitted that you're a sinner and confess to God that you're a sinner and need it and in need of his forgiveness. Have you done that? Because that's the first step of submission. That's the first step of submission. And for some folks, it could be that you've never done any of these other things because you've not first taken that first step of obedience to follow him and to allow him to forgive you of your sin to enter into a relationship with him. Christians are often stereotyped as narrow-minded, and that's because some of us are narrow-minded legalists, and the rest of us get labeled with that in the same boat. We just have to deal with that. But I'm going to say it again. If we're going to follow Christ, it's a pretty narrow path. And he's the one that puts the path out there in front of us. Let's pray. Lord, I don't don't know if I ever end a sermon without saying thank you for your word. God, thank you for your word. It is incredible that we can hold a book in our hands that contains the truth of God. And you just give it to us. You just give it to us. And you even enlighten it and help us to understand and you do that, God, because you love us and you want this relationship with us. And God, you, you love us so much, you're willing to guide each step of our lives. But we're proud, we're arrogant. We get just enough of you and we just say, okay, that's plenty. And I'm going to be kind of comfortable over here and, and I'll go to church some and I'll give some and I'll do some. But I'm not going to be one of those missionaries or I'm not going to be one of those preachers or... I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. And we're just a rebellious people. Back to Isaiah. Woe is me. Woe is me because I'm a mess and I live amongst a messed up people. God we're broken we're all a mess and we shouldn't have to look far around this world to understand this world our country our state our city is a broken and messed up place 
that could so desperately use some men and women and students of God who are following you and showing them what it means to follow you and live in the peace and the joy and the love of Christ. God, I'm just asking tonight that we would submit to you. You're already the sovereign. You already have all authority. Help us to put aside our stuff, our pride, our arrogance, our fears, because <laughs> you're sovereign over those, and just give them to you and say, here they are, Lord. How do you want to use me? How do you want to use me? What do I need to change? God, forgive us. And God, may we individually come to you here in this place tonight and do business with you, recognizing that we're not letting you have nearly the authority in our lives you deserve. Turn this place upside down because of the obedience we exhibit. In the next few minutes, the worship team is going to lead us. There's a prayer team here at the front. Your pastor's here at the front. These steps make a good place to kneel and pray. I'm going to ask you right now to stand. If you need to trust Christ, you come and talk to one of these men here. If you need to repent and submit and follow the authority of Christ in your life, Christian, I'm going to ask you to come, speak to one of these men, kneel here, whatever that looks like. But you respond to what Jesus has spoken to you tonight in obedience. Let's worship. Let's respond in obedience.